bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensah Otobil. And now, today's word. I'm continuing my teaching. This is part two of the power of words. And my subtitle is The Believer's Confession. The power of words. The Believer's Confession. The things we say have effect on the quality of lives we live. When I say confession, I have three things in mind. And I want to start off by defining what I mean by confession before we even go to the scripture. When I say confession, I mean three things. Number one, confess to confess is to tell or make known. Number two, to confess is to declare faith in something. And number three, to confess is to give evidence in support of something. So when I say the believer's confession, I'm talking about the ability of the believer to tell or make something known or to declare his faith in God or something or to give evidence in support of I know that most of you are used to the word confession being used uh, mostly in reference to sin. That uh, you sin and then you confess your sins. And that is true. You confess your sins after you have committed them. But confession is not only limited to sins. It goes beyond sins. You can confess your faith. You can confess what you believe God is going to do. And uh, today I'm not going to focus more on the confession of sin. I'm going to focus more on confession of your faith. Uh, telling and declaring what you believe about God. Please stand with me in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 12. And we will read verses 10 and 11. Revelations is easy to get. It's the last book of the Bible. Just jump all the books in the Bible. Go to the last book of the Bible. That is Revelations and um, chapter 12 and uh, verse 10 and 11. It's talking about the victory of the believer. And let's hear the reading of the scriptures. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. That individual who is described as the accuser of the brethren in this passage is also known as Satan and he has various other names but he's a bad boy and he's not a good person at all the devil and here the Bible says and they overcame the accuser of the brethren they overcame Satan they overcame the devil. They overcame demonic power through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. 
In other words, the word of our testimony, the words we declare, the words we say, the words we affirm before God have the power of giving us victory over Satan. And when a believer testifies, he affirms his faith in God. And there are four important things we must affirm to God in our testimony. When we declare our testimony, these four ingredients must be present. And please, when I say testimony, I'm not using it in reference directly to uh, coming to testify after a miracle has happened to you. The testimony here simply means what you declare about God, what you confess about God. It doesn't only happen after something unusual has happened. It happens all the time. Every day, the word of God must be your testimony. You must declare the word of God. Even when a miracle has not happened in your life, there is a testimony you must declare. Four things must characterize your testimony. When you testify, number one, you must affirm what God says about himself. What God says about himself. In the Bible, God describes himself in many ways. For example, he describes himself as a good God. He is good and his mercies endure forever. He is a merciful God. He is a faithful God. He is a God of justice. He is all-powerful. These are things that God says about himself. And we must also affirm them. That the Lord is good. That the Lord is faithful. That the Lord is able. Because he says it, we also affirm it. The word of the testimony of the believer is the affirmation of what God says about himself. Secondly, it's an affirmation of what God says about his children. What has God said about those of us who trust him and believe in him? Those who have trusted Jesus for salvation. God says so many things about them. And you must look them up in the scriptures. He says he loves us with an everlasting love. He says he has engraved our names in the palm of his hands. He says that he will never forsake us nor leave us. He says as far as the east is from the west, so he has taken away our transgressions from himself. When we affirm what he says about us, we are declaring our testimony. Third, we affirm the victory of Christ over Satan. Contrary to popular opinion, the devil is not as powerful as we think he is. He is a defeated foe. He is a defeated enemy. He knows he is defeated, but he is a very stubborn devil who does not easily acknowledge defeat in front of his enemy. So even when he's defeated, he still pretends as if he's got a fight. But in Christ, we have victory. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of Christ gave us victory and we have, tes we have to testify about it. Because his blood is our victory. Number four, we affirm God's sovereignty 
over all things. We have to be able to declare that God rules above everything. He is ruler, he's king over all situations. That's why he can say boldly that there is nothing too hard for him because he is sovereign. A sovereign is a ruler who has no competition. But when we say somebody is a sovereign, he has no competition. He has no equal. And God is sovereign. He has no equal. He is a king all by himself. There are pretenders who try to be equal to him, but they are his footstool. And he rules over everything and we have to affirm it. Instead of affirming what the devil is doing, affirm the sovereignty of God. When I was a young Christian growing up, there was a song we used to sing. And uh, it was quite a popular song in those days. I haven't heard it sung uh, in a quite a long time. And uh, the word simply says, oh, Satan is mighty busy. He follows me night and day. And whenever I go to pray, I find him in my way. Lord, until I reach my home, I will never expect to see the journey over until I reach my home. But the first phrase is, oh, Satan is mighty busy. He follows me day and night. And that is somehow the prayer of a lot of Christians. They are much more aware of the power of the devil and less aware of the sovereignty of God. And the more you confess about the power of the devil, the more you empower him. Do you know the more you talk about your enemy, the more you popularize him and advertise him and lead people to him? That's how it is. If you want God to be God in your life, then talk more about him than about the devil. And that's why I don't spend too much time talking about the devil. He's there, but forget about him. He's not as powerful as he is. And I'm not going to advertise his power. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, have you heard uh, a latest book in town or a latest tape or a latest video? And what is that tape? They say, well, this man used to be in witchcraft or he used to be uh, a fetish priest or he used to do something dabbling with devilish power. And the person has come to talk about how the devil works. And he's written a book about it. And I'm supposed to take my precious new Ghana city to go and buy the testimony of somebody about Satan. I will not spend my money buying the testimony of the devil. I will buy a book that exalts God and testifies about the goodness of God and the power of God. We overcome the devil not by the testimony of the devil, but our testimony of who God is, his sovereignty, his power, and what he has said about us. Don't spend all your time talking about the devil. Spend your time talking about the Lord who is sovereign and above all things. And when the child of God learns to speak that way, they experience victory. 
turn with me once more in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy is after 2 Thessalonians. And it's in the New Testament. Are you there? Okay, let's hear the reading. 1 Timothy chapter 6 from verse 12 to 14. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession. I want you to note that phrase, have confessed the good confession. That gives you the impression sometimes you can confess a bad confession. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. I want you to note what the Bible says. The Bible says we must witness or we must confess a good confession. The question is, what is a good confession? Because a confession is something you are declaring. And you can declare a confession which is good and you can declare a confession which is not good. But we are encouraged to declare a good confession. So what's a good confession? Then it goes on ahead and says, if you want to know how a good confession is, look at Jesus, who before Pilate made a good confession. So we have to go and find out what Jesus said before Pilate, which is now described as a good confession. Because that is how God wants us to speak. This is the language he wants us to use. So let's look at the confession of Jesus before Pilate. Go to John's Gospel, chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 33 to 38. And then we'll go to chapter 19 and read verses 10 and 11. And as you are familiar with, Jesus came before Pontius Pilate, not because he had been invited for dinner. Uh, Pilate didn't get up one, uh, one fine morning and say, well, you know, I just want to honor one Jew and, and, and looked into his uh, uh, phone list and called up Jesus the, the Nazarene to come and have dinner with him. No, but Jesus was taking the Pilate in judgment. And at that time, his life was at stake. He could die for whatever he says. The situation was not a very, very funny, interesting way. It was a dire situation. Now let's see what Jesus does before Pilate and let's hear his words. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you? This concerning me. This, this is quite an, a cheeky man, isn't it? I mean, here is a man who says he, he, can, he can kill you. And he says, hey, who are you? I, 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 are you the king of the Jews? Are you, are you that, that person people say you are? And he says, well, 
you know, are you asking because you want to know or because you are saying what people say? I'm sure Pilate was taken aback because he's used to Jews who always succumb to him. But this Jew is a different kind of a Jew. So verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. I want you to understand that. In other words, he has a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate says, said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to him, I find no fault in him at all. I don't know how he reached that conclusion, but I mean, what Jesus is saying really doesn't represent his verdict. He says, I find no fault in him. Jesus hasn't even gotten to the meat of the story yet. Then chapter 19, chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. There are four statements that I want you to underline in that passage, the two passages. First, Jesus says, you say rightly, I'm a king. You say rightly, I'm a king. That is verse 37 of chapter 18. Then second, my kingdom is not of this world. That is verse 36 of chapter 18. Then third statement, for this cause I was born. is still in verse 37, chapter 18. And then the last one is, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. That is verse 11 of chapter 19. These are the words Jesus spoke before Pilate. And the Bible says, this is a good confession. That is how we must speak. 